because anxiety would be one of the causes of ADHD symptoms and they, they overlap a lot. That's yeah. one of them. And that's within the category of emotional stress. You know, when someone is acting out that way, something stressful is happening in their life and they need our attention. Hello, and welcome to the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm on a mission to change the way that we think about anxiety. Oftentimes, it can feel like anxiety can get in the way of our ambitions, and I'm here to tell a different story. In each episode, we'll explore how we can manage our anxiety, heal our nervous system, and conquer our fears so we can shine as our most authentic self, go after our biggest dreams, and achieve our greatest ambitions. You'll hear stories from people who have been there themselves and strategies from experts who can help you thrive. Are you ready? Let's do this. For today's episode, we're talking all about why your brain is not broken and how we can get to the root of ADHD and anxiety. Today's guest is Abigail Gimple, the author of Hyperhealing, the Empowered Parents Guide to Raising a Healthy Child with ADHD Symptoms, as well as Hyperhealing, Show Me the Science. After working in an inclusion classroom supporting students who were struggling with ADHD symptoms, as well as finding her own kids with very similar ADHD symptoms, she immersed herself into developing treatment options for ADHD for her own six kids, as well as her struggling students. Now she educates parents to become ADHD coaches to their children. This conversation was so interesting to me because Abigail and I have had very similar experiences in navigating this diagnosis of a mental illness. And Abigail takes a multidisciplinary holistic approach, which I just love. And she shares a whole lot of insights within this episode that you can apply directly to your life, whether or not you or your loved one experiences ADHD symptoms. So without further ado, let's welcome Abigail to the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. Hi, Abigail. Hey there, Nicole. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm really, really excited to be with you for this episode. Yes, same here. And I have a lot of different questions for you, but I'd love to start if you'd be able to share a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I'm a mom of six amazing children. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my, when you have six kids, you understand that that's your main focus in life because whether you choose it or not, they take it all up and, uh, they, and I'm also a special education teacher and an author. I just published my second book focused on ADHD because, uh, um, in my, my focus has always been on ADHD in the classroom. And then when my children were being diagnosed with ADHD, one after the next, it became very personal. And I really just looked for every available program. I was not satisfied with the information I was getting. I did not like the, the very, very quick run to medicate. I did land up medicating for certain uh, periods of time, some of my children, but I wanted to see what else was out there because they looked like 
healthy, amazing kids to me. And there was something going on that was making them not be able to perform well in the classroom, also at home. And I wanted to figure out why. So that that's my journey. And uh, it has so many interesting twists and turns. And, and my book, def, my two, the both books definitely discuss a lot of the stories with my own children, with my clients, with my students. And really, my goal is always to offer high quality, excellent, clear information to parents, which is what I was looking for as a young mom. Mm, I love that. And I think it's so cool how you went from, you know, already specializing working with students with ADHD and your work as a special education teacher. And then you're almost even better equipped to now support your little youngins. Yeah, well, they're not so young anymore. I've oh. got a daughter getting married in two months. So uh, <laughs> that's so exciting. Married. Oh, my that gosh. Super exciting. Yeah. And so when you first got that diagnosis for your own kids that they had ADHD, what was your gut reaction? You know, it's so strange because I was already in the field. I already had full programs in my classroom. But then when my own daughter, my oldest, was diagnosed with ADHD, it was like a punch in the gut. Like I had no idea what to do with it, how to manage it. Why was someone telling me that my child was broken? It, it was it was offensive. I felt lost. The doctor wasn't trying to offend me. I'm usually not so sensitive. But when you're when you go into a doctor's office and you come out with this heavy diagnosis and an explanation that there's something wrong with your child, it's it's really heart wrenching. And I was really floundering at the beginning. I didn't know how to approach it. I didn't know how to get her the right help. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure this is a reaction that a lot of parents would have given those circumstances. And so what do you something that you wish you had known earlier on in this journey? Almost everything. <laughs> but the main thing that I wish I had known is you have a gut instinct as a mom or a dad. Dads also have gut instincts. And uh, we, we really have to listen to our inner voice. When I looked at my kid and I said, this is a healthy child, what's going on? My, I was overridden by doctors saying, broken brain, needs fixing, needs tinkering, not right. And instead of going with my own truth, taking a deep breath, saying, wait, I want to evaluate this. I want to ask a million questions. I want to understand what's going on. I let myself really be told what was right for my child. And, and I think that a lot of us go through that because it's, it's that shocking and upsetting. And we're sure that the people in the know who are giving this diagnosis really know something we don't know. But often that's not the case. Mm, yeah. And I mean, even just from that original diagnosis, it sounds like you thought, you know, oh my gosh, they're telling me my child is broken and there's something wrong with them. And so how have you sort of reframed this diagnosis in your life? For me, it, it happened with doing a lot of research. I, the doctor had said to me, right. It really, the evaluation was not more than 10 minutes, the, the whole story. And, uh, and within that 10 minutes, she gave me a brief explanation of my daughter's brain 
and how there was less dopamine and there were less, less neurotransmitters and all that stuff. And uh, I needed to really dive deep into the literature, into the studies to find out what was going on. And what I, that, that's my go-to. And I'm very grateful that I have that curiosity. My second book really presents what the beginning of my journey, where I really just tried to understand what was going on. And what I turned up, which was fascinating, is that actually all of these studies talking about the five areas of the brain that are different than normative children is not necessarily true. And they haven't really proven it yet. You're looking at me like, oh my gosh, she's a little bit crazy. But that's what I discovered was that I, I did I had no agenda. I really just wanted to figure out what's going on and help my children. And I was really going with what they were recommending. But then all of a sudden I turned this up and I said, my God, let me go back to all the original studies. And they only started studying the brain in the, in the late 70s. And in all of those years, the most recent study I read, which was an enormous study in 2017, they still hadn't found it yet. Of course, the headline said they did, but you actually go into the study and it turns out that if you have 100 kids with ADHD diagnosis, only five of them will have something in their brain that's detectable as different than the comparison group. And that's not statistically significant even, which means that when you're looking at a child with an ADHD diagnosis, in 95% of the time, that child's going to have a healthy, intact brain. So when I discovered that after years of really doing like a super nerd dive and, and reading every study, I said, okay, that doesn't mean ADHD doesn't exist. I'm, I'm seeing that my kids are struggling, my students, my clients. These people are really, and I deal with adult clients and couples dealing with ADHD as well. They really are struggling. Life's not easy. Something's going on. So what is it? The minute I was able to shed the, oh, I know what it is. It's a broken brain. I went to, okay, let's figure this out. And it turns out that ADHD is a descriptive diagnosis that has so many different causes, just like a sore throat is descriptive. And that's that the rest of my work was dedicated to figuring out what the main causes of ADHD were. And that's where I begin the intervention. Mm, yeah. And I mean, as you were saying that, I just felt like you're almost mirroring a lot of the process that I went through myself with trying to uncover what is actually the cause of anxiety. Because oh, like wow. you said, you know, brain research, it's so new. And so often when we go to these doctors, they think, well, not that they think it's, it comes across as though we have a broken brain, yes. but really it's just a, a descriptive diagnosis. And so I love that you've done this work to help people to discover what the root cause of their ADHD is, so that they can really find true healing. And I'm sure that this differs from person to person, but what are some of the most popular or common root causes of ADHD that you've found? Well, first, before I answer you, I want to tell you that I'm so impressed that you have taken that journey and and uh, that we've we both come to this understanding and and your understanding is I'm sure helping so many people because anxiety would be one of the causes of ADHD symptoms and they they overlap a lot 
That's one of them. And that's within the category of emotional stress and, and emotional dysregulation. Now, I don't like the word dysregulation because it sounds like something landed from out of space on you. And uh, we have this kind of scientific term, you know, you are now dysregulated. What it really means is that something is causing you a lot of stress. And that is a real thing. And when we, we call it this dysregulation or anxiety, it sounds like we're saying that, you know, there, there is no justification for you being anxious right now. And, and that's very insulting. I, I met with someone recently who's, who got a diagnosis for histrionic. And I said, well, my God, I, I thought they had shed that in like, you know, the 1930s, they were describing women as histrionic. You know, when someone is acting out that way, something stressful is happening in their life and they need our attention. And then we call them histrionic. And how insulting can you get? But let's get back to the ADHD. The main cause that I've had, there's so many, I'm going to run through a few. The, the one that I see a lot is an instant gratification personality. That's that person, that healthy personality that's curious, that wants everything here and now and fun and interesting and, and fast and dangerous. They're the ones who, you know, you put outside and they notice everything. And I have one daughter who my mother-in-law used to actually put on like a new piece of jewelry every time she came into our house because she knew that my daughter would scan her up and down and be like, oh my God, look at that toe ring. You know, she'd buy a toe ring so that my daughter could discover it. So that's that amazing personality. And uh, and we need those people because they're the inventors and they're the high-tech people. And, and they're the ones who are out discovering things that the rest of us never notice. And, and I say that myself, not having this instant gratification personality, I'm always amazed by what my children and my husband will notice that, that I miss because I'm being practical. So the, but the, the problem with that personality, like every personality, there's no perfect personality, is that they don't develop habits because they're jumping from thing to thing and uh, they don't like to carry through because it gets boring. An instant gratification person needs it interesting and stimulating. So they have this great idea. They buy all this stuff. They get going with it. And then they realize, oh, my God, what do I have to do in order to succeed at this? And they lose interest. Now, that is not pathological. That is part of that experience. That's part of that personality. And therefore, they need to learn habits. And, that's, and they learn to have habits and discipline. And that's very teachable. And that's very learnable. And they also need to be paired up with people who are more organized. I, I see a lot of couples in my neighborhood, myself included, by the way, that the the husband or the wife is more of that instant gratification and their spouse tends to be more stylistically grounded and organized and down to earth that's that's a, it's a very interesting combo and that's that's the sort of person that that I'd like to find as as partners for my own children so that's one cause another one would be the emotional cause which we we talked about before another one which is super interesting is gut dysbiosis that that means that if, and this by the way would also relate to anxiety the diet change brings down in some people 
ADHD, and other psychiatric diagnoses, as well as exercise. So somebody who has a gut dysbiosis will see it physiologically in them. They're having um, skin issues or allergies, asthma, uh, autism symptoms, or or autoimmune conditions. For some reason, they all start with an A. And uh, and we'll, we'll see that they have running noses a lot, the little kids, or they get sick very often, headaches, stomach aches, things like that. Or if they were born by C-section or not nursed, those are things that not blaming the moms. These are things that, you know, save lives, C-section save lives, and sometimes a mom can't nurse, but, or a kid born prematurely. These are things that happen. No one's ever to blame. We just have to rule with what we've got. And, uh, and those kids are going to land up also with, <clears throat> sorry, with ADHD uh, symptoms as well. And we have to look, if we, we see anything physiological, we definitely have to take a journey into the gut and do some serious um, healing there. Exercise is one. Another huge one is, is uh, screen addiction. And uh, that's becoming more and more common. And the research is showing us actually that the screens are causing the ADHD symptoms and not necessarily the other way around, that a kid that already had ADHD becomes addicted to their screens. Uh, so and trauma and abuse, are going to be causes of anxiety, of depression, of ADHD symptoms as well. So that those are the big ones. Mm, yeah. I mean, you mentioned so many great ones there. And I think so many of these would also, like you said, lead to anxious symptoms as well from personality, right? Like having that um, instant gratification personality. I can understand that with ADHD people. I feel like with anxiety, probably a lot of like perfectionist overachieving type personalities would come up there. And then I love how you touched on the idea of gut because we, I mean, more and more so it's coming up in conversation about this important connection between the gut and the mind. But for a lot of us, it takes years and decades to start to discover this and work with it. So for yeah. you, what made you look to the gut as a root cause of ADHD? And as with everything else in life, I had to be smacked in the face personally in order <laughs> to learn something new. And that was when uh, my fifth child, boy, Joseph, he was, you know, at about a year and a half, he was a healthy, adorable, chubby guy. And he started getting sick all the time. He was just vomiting high fevers all the time. Like, you know, he missed half of preschool, first, second grade because he was home on the couch with a high fever. And I, I couldn't figure out what to do with him, what was wrong with him. And I'm going from doctor to doctor. They, he was a human pincushion. They, they were constantly giving him so many blood tests. And uh, finally, I said, they're not coming up with anything. They put him on steroids, which were turning him green. And I was, finally, I'm listening to my gut and saying, no, no, this cannot be good for my, it wasn't really green. It was more yellow, something, oh my God, they're, kill, they're killing his liver. Uh, so I, I stopped all of that and I said, okay, what are some likely causes? And I went right back to my research thing. And I said, you know what, I'm betting that this is celiac. Let me, let me take a, let me clean up his diet and see what happens. And, uh, and as I took away the gluten and, and I also took dairy away cause he was in such bad shape and he healed and he's, wow. he's doing great now. He's a ninth grader. He's 
learning well and uh, energetic and healthy. But that got me woken up to what our diet and lifestyle style can do to heal us. And uh, so I started implementing that in my own family. Uh, exercise was something we always did. And my husband, as a, as a child, was so hyper that uh, my mother-in-law says that he, he used to trace his feet on the floor of his classroom so that he remembered to place his feet down in the right place so he wouldn't get punished for, for jumping around too much. And he took on sports as his, as his treatment. And he, he was in every sport. He was in soccer and football, basketball. Um, I, I think he was in wrestling as well. He did varsity soccer and, and he's a runner. He did, he ran a bunch of New York marathons and, and that was for him. That, that was his treatment plan. So both of those were really things that we experienced as a family. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's amazing to me that you've been through it both personally and you've really dove into the research side of it. So I love how you kind of have both sides of the perspective as opposed to just somebody who's researched it their whole life or just somebody who has lived it. And yeah, yeah there's no ivory tower going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, and I think it's great that you've been really digging deeper into the root cause because that when you said human pincushion that I can definitely relate to that having getting all the tests and then given almost blanket diagnoses without much wiggle room as to how you can actually heal and so I love that now you're actually opening up the conversation around healing and hyper healing in your book so for our listeners how would you define hyper healing so I would, the reason I put the hyper and healing together is because sometimes the hyper is the healing mm-hmm. and we certainly can heal the hyper. And, uh, and so that's, that's why I put them together. But for me, that the hyper healing, it's really a journey. The hyper healing journey is a journey of, of discovery and then healing. And the beginning of, of the book discusses how parents can heal themselves first. Because a lot of times we are inserting, uh, really all the time, we come into parenting or all relationships, all relationships, this is not only about parenting and every relationship we get into, we have these loud voices that we're dragging with us from our past. It's kind of like this old dusty suitcase that we're carrying on our shoulders all the time with all of the old messaging and the old, I like to call them curses. You can't, you must, you will, all that stuff. You are those messages that, that really mess us up for life until we finally uh, uncover them are, 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 it's so important. So we have to, so I start with the adult, whoever the adult in the relationship is really has to figure out kindly and compassionately what's going on for them. What are the voices that they're responding to because often we'll yell or criticize or or lose our minds or retreat, not due to the person we're talking to, but due to the voices in our head that that person triggered. And they're no longer in the room when we're yelling and and acting out terribly. And uh, 
we have to figure out what that is. And I spent so many years trying to identify these voices for myself and for my clients, because I, I work with adults very often, with parents, with couples, and with, and with people, just regular old uh, people that are struggling with ADHD symptoms. The first place we go is what are the voices? What are they saying to you? What's the dialogue? And it's not schizophrenia. It is real voices in our head that we have to respect and respond to and correct. We have to say, no, I'm not that kid who's always going to fail at this and that. I'm not that person who's expected to be perfect all the time. I'm just me and I'm on a journey and I'm taking it step by step. And I have failures, which are also successes because I've just learned something new. So that's really the beginning of the journey. And then I go into uh, tackling each of the causes of ADHD symptoms and providing the parent with an intervention plan. It's for teachers, therapists, as well as adults struggling with ADHD really could use the program themselves. Hmm. That's so interesting. And I'm really um, intrigued by this idea of examining the voices, because I think for so many of us, we don't spend time really listening to them, or we're afraid to talk about them with people because you don't want to come across with that diagnosis of schizophrenia. And this actually hits, (laughs) yeah, this hits home really personally for me, because when I was in the midst of my high anxiety, I was already as a kid recognizing, like, I'm hearing these voices that are saying things that aren't very nice to me, and that I don't necessarily agree with. And my psychiatrist at the time actually said, you know, your daughter's probably schizophrenic or going to be schizophrenic. And I was put on antipsychotics for that. (laughs) So, I mean, I am like endlessly grateful to people like you who are now advocating to do that inner work and listen to that voice and what it's saying, because ugh, I just feel like that's such a part of mental health that is so misunderstood. So thank you. Yeah, let me give you an example. I was yeah. just recently out shopping with a friend and uh, we, were, we, were, we were getting just some clothing and uh, the whole time she was just in, in like high stress mode. And I found a thing and I was happy with it. And, and, you know, and I sat and waited and commented and helped her zip up and all that. But she was in very, very high stress mode. And I couldn't figure out what was going on until she said something about her mother. My mother wants me to have this kind of, and this is, this is an adult. This is a, a an, an adult, a mother herself. And she was not looking at the dresses in the mirror and her figure. She was looking at the dresses in her mirror, in the mirror and hearing her mother's voice. That's too simple. That's too tight. You have a stomach. You have a this. You, you're too short for that dress. That color drains you. And instead of actually enjoying the experience and finding something beautiful for her beautiful self, she was tortured. And, and what I was watching was that dialogue that she was having, not with me. Hmm. Isn't that intriguing? And I mean, I think it's so important that we all do this work to actually examine that inner dialogue and listen to it. I think for a lot of us, we want to just push it down. Um, yeah. And so with your clients, how do you, I guess, help walk them through examining and, and maybe even shifting their relationship with those inner voices? So we try to first identify what the curses are. Mm-hmm. We, what, what were you cursed with? Were you, what were you told that you had to be or mustn't be? 
and uh, and figuring out, you know, I, I, I give us a, a simple example in my book about failing math in 10th grade and uh, and the principal, instead of saying, let's help you out here, let's get a tutor, let's work this through, went straight to, hey, you know, you're not very good at math, do you want to you want to drop out and we'll we'll replace it with a science you'll you'll take an extra science instead for this i'm a new yorker so so you know we have we have the the regions um so he said we'll, we'll work that out for you everything will be okay and what i heard was you loser you can't figure out how to pass math and that became a curse i'm the girl who can't learn math and when i aced math in college it was because oh it's in a community college and uh and it was an easy course, it was a summer course, you know, obvious, I'm still the girl who can't pass math. And no matter what people say or do, you can't break those curses. So we, we first start with these preconceived notions about ourselves that are always damaging. And we deconstruct them. Is it really, is that you? And we go from this fixed mentality to a process. And uh, and every day my clients will have to write down or or report to me or or report to themselves or, or a partner that comes with them what small step they took. And and we we also look at the fear. You know, if you're if you're if you're going on a vacation, you're the one planning it. What are you scared of? You're scared that it won't be the perfect hotel, that it won't be the most fun. You won't choose the right activity. But one second, what do you have in front of you? You have time to vacation, money to vacation, and plane tickets. It's already amazing. Now, let's see what we can do to build on it. So we, we start there. For some people, they just get it. And some people, it's a slower process. My teenagers get it faster than, than, uh, than the adults, obviously, because my teenagers have been hearing the, the nasty, cursy voices for less time. But uh, once you've already well into life, it takes a lot more to unravel it. Oh, wow. I, I love the idea of looking at it like a curse because that really highlights the idea that a lot of the time these voices that we have that are telling us are not even from us, right? Yes. Like you mentioned, oh, somebody Most else told me this. Yeah. yeah. And then we literally are cursed with that thing. And it causes so many of these symptoms and, you know, in some people, anxiety, I think in some people, ADHD and some people depression and shows up in all these different ways. And so what do you feel like is something that, that was really missing from the treatment and the care when you were going through the system that you now do with your clients? The main thing that was missing was curiosity. The doctor had all the answers, but wasn't asking me any questions. And had they paused and asked a question or two, the entire experience would have looked different. And, and that's what I'm trying to reverse because it's very disrespectful. Oh, totally. And it causes you to have a misunderstanding of what you're even going through, in, in my opinion. And so sure. what are some... I guess, powerful questions that you ask your clients that you wish you had been asked? Well, I start at the beginning. I start with 
what, you know, how was a child born? And if the child had any trauma as, as a young child, even being hospitalized or having, you know, being on extreme antibiotics uh, at, at some point. And then I move into, I, I really want to know every single detail. So it's not just one powerful question. It's a real dialogue where I, I pick at everything. And then some interesting things turn up one time. I mean, not just once, unfortunately, but often I will find out that that kids are being sexually sexually harassed in school and, and that's not uncommon. And what do you think is going to happen to a child who's scared that someone's going to pull his pants down in the classroom? Like, it, really, is he ready to learn? He's he's has all of his barriers up and he's terrified and he doesn't know how to protect himself because the adults are no longer no not around to tell him this is bad and this is and we're going to take care of this and protect you. So these are things that that parents don't even realize are connected. So I try to look at the physical, the emotional, the spiritual and uh and also the the psychological as well as just looking at simply patterns, personality, learning disabilities, things like that. The amount of time they're on screens every day mm. and how they respond when you take them off of a screen. Do they lose their mind? Do they tantrum like crazy? What's going on for them? So once you have it, it's not rocket science. Anyone should be able to do this. Right. So you really get an understanding from what it sounds like of their whole situation. Sure. Which, yeah. And I feel like that's something that's really missing in, in regular dialogue around this is that we're oftentimes just looking at the symptoms and like, okay, when are you experiencing that symptom? But we oftentimes don't dig deeper into what situation is causing that symptom. And so along those lines, like, I mean, I know we've talked about a ton of things that people are clearly misunderstanding and getting wrong about this process, but when it comes to the label of ADHD, I feel like people oftentimes get, I don't know, there's two sides of the coin, right? Some people will say, oh my gosh, when I found out that I had ADHD, it opened up my world. And for mm -hmm. other people, they find out ADHD, they have ADHD and they're like, oh, I feel stuck. I don't want to feel like I'm broken. I don't know what to do with this label. And so do you, what is your opinion on the label? Like, do you think it's helpful? I, I tell people to go to get an evaluation only if they need a prescription or if they need extra services in school. Otherwise, the, the evaluation really turns up just about nothing. It's a descriptive uh, diagnosis, just like all of the psychiatric diagnoses. And what I've figured out over the years or learned from mentors is that all of these diagnoses of anxiety, depression, ADHD, and really bipolar, all of them are a clash between a healthy person and their environment. And again, there's no blame here. You have to look at the environment and figure out what's off between the person and their environment. Now, it could be a person who is extremely emotionally sensitive and and the people around them can't possibly understand that until they're educated. But I, I definitely would say that that um, this descriptive diagnosis doesn't offer anything except for if you were to go to the doctor and say, my throat hurts on the left side and uh, and it's a little bit itchy. 
Like, and then I'll say, oh, you have the left side uh, pain, itchy throat disorder. And you're like, thanks, doc. That was helpful. Like, <laughs> what did the doctor add to what you just said? You just told the doctor your symptoms, and then he hands that right back to you with a beautiful ribbon on top, which is often a curse because that really, it's, you're, you become that box. And uh, I, I'm, I'm always uh, confused by people who say, I finally understand everything when they get this diagnosis. What do they understand more? That they, they, they've told the doctor the symptoms, that means they knew the symptoms already. So I guess if you think, if, if, you, if you kind of buy the story, that there's something wrong with your brain, then you're like, ah, I always knew there was something wrong with me. And now finally it's confirmed. But if you maintain that the person actually is healthy, was always healthy, then the diagnosis, all it does is let you know, let you know that the doctor also sees that you have those symptoms. So I don't know what it offers beyond that. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to think about. And I mean, I think for a lot of people when they actually receive the diagnosis, it's almost like, oh, a weight off my shoulders in the sense of like, well, now I know why I've been feeling this way. And for some people, I think it almost poses a bit of a barrier to actually doing that deeper work and getting to the root because they're like, well, I'm feeling this way because I have ADHD. Would you? Exactly. And that's the issue that I was, I was saying to you before. It knocks curiosity out of, out of the conversation. Now I know what I have. Now I have all the answers and therefore I have no more questions. Everything's right. been resolved. It's anxiety. But what does that mean? Anxiety is, is again, it's not something that landed from out of space on your head. Anxiety is an experience you're having. It's descriptive. I feel anxious. And if you, if you say, I feel anxious, then I can say to you, why? Why are you feeling anxious right now? But if I have anxiety, I have no question. That's your diagnosis. Right. Mm, this is so good. This idea of putting curiosity back into the conversation, because I really think curiosity has been taken out of the conversation a lot at the time when it comes to mental health, right? We focus on those symptoms, we get the label, and then we follow the traditional route. And so I think it's so important that there's people like you who are, you know, making waves and really paving the way for us to be able to actually heal on a deeper level. And that being said, I'm sure that as you were sort of breaking through this almost like stigma around ADHD and carving a new path for your clients and your readers, what kind of feelings came up for you as you were writing and publishing your book? Well, I hate to admit it, but I felt a little bit angry. I felt like my children had been poorly served mm -hmm. and that the least effective treatment was the one that was the most vigorous vigorously pushed on them. And, and I felt like there weren't people that were giving me the answers. And I, and I felt like the, the medical establishment, as well as the educational establishment, were not educating themselves well enough to be able to have programs, have interventions, help the children in a real way. So that was my initial 
response. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to just roll your sleeves off, stop complaining <laughs> and uh, make some changes. You know, <laughs> I'm very grateful that, that I, I moved past anger quickly. Every once in a while, when I read a new study that reconverts, it was just a huge study out of England about uh, discussing uh, depression. I, I know I've saved it. And it was a very informative study, very uh, thorough. And they just, they really discovered once again that they cannot find anything wrong in the brains of people that suffer from depression. And that's so, so then I like a little bit of anger just comes up in me and I say, why are we letting pharma run our lives? There's got to be someone here who's protective of all these people. And then I'll meet somebody who's on seven different pharmaceutical drugs and i'll say why is no one caring for this person this we have to stop this we have to that's no way to to treat somebody but but then we go and i you know go through the whole thing and we figure out what's going on and uh and we get back to something super productive and in healing yeah, for sure. And I mean, I can definitely relate to that feeling of anger. I think a lot of us who have been in the system for either ourselves or or for parents watching their kids go through it, it's frustrating feeling like, like you said, like the least effective um, solution is the most vigorously pushed. It's crazy. Yeah. And so I can imagine that like, on your way to publishing the book, you probably experienced some sort of like fears or anxieties, whether that be around, you know, facing judgment from other parents or maybe like outroar among medical community. I'm not sure. So how did that feel for you? Oh my God, that was terrifying. <laughs> I'm not, in general, I, I, I don't have, I don't suffer from much anxiety. I said more like when like, you know, jump off the cliff and see what happens types without the ADHD. <laughs> um, but I, I, we lived in Moscow, Russia for a couple of years. I know you're not meant to say that anymore. Um, but that was just like, we should go to Russia. And we went. But like, so that's in general how I approach life. But but this was so scary because I was putting my truest and most honest self out there and i was saying this is the best i could do and, and then everybody evaluates that and and, and you know I, i've been very blessed to have nice excellent feedback for for the book and actually the first one hit the amazon number one bestseller which was which was very gratifying the second one's too new we'll get it there but it was it you know it was if someone gave feedback that was scathing or or really disagreeing, it hurts and it's scary. And you try to just be above it, but it's that personal. That's my soul on the pages of the book. And now you get to pick through my soul and and tell me how you feel about it. Wow, I honestly I, I don't know how I I I, I got there. It was, you know, the publisher is the one that pushed the button to get it on to the to Amazon and all that. And I just held my breath. But uh, but yeah, I don't recommend it. My goodness. I mean, I do recommend it. if you have something important to say, say it, but make sure you have a very good support system around you. 
Yeah, like a publisher to press publish while you have your eyes closed. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so with your book, what is something that you included in your book that you feel like, you know, was really missing that you're excited to share with the world? I think what was missing and what I, I really looked for for a lot of years was a multidisciplinary approach because there are really good books out there on ADHD and I've enjoyed them, but each author will fall in love with their perspective, their program, their method. And, um, and the truth is that if your kid's struggling with ADHD and you read the explosive child, which I love by Ross green, highly recommend it. And I've been in touch with him. He's a real gentleman and, and puts out fantastic work. He's dealing with the emotional part. and it's not always emotional. And therefore, for some parents, that's great. But then what about, so then what's going to happen is you'll say, okay, I tried the, that approach. It didn't work. Okay. So it must be real ADHD and therefore I have to medicate it. Uh, so that, that kept turning up or you have, you know, other, you have a, a professor, John Rady, who's really focused on the exercise part. So you say, okay, I'm going to do the exercise. But my kid's still flaking out in school. Ah, so it's not the fake ADHD. Once again, real ADHD. There's no such thing as real ADHD and fake ADHD. There's so many causes of ADHD. And therefore, my contribution is pay attention to the full child. So it's not one message. It's your child is an entire world. You're an entire world. So don't limit and, uh, and, and that's really, that's why I'm so excited about it because you really can get a, a much broader caring treatment that way. Totally. And I feel like that really is what is missing from, I mean, more and more so we're lucky it's entering the conversation, but this idea of holistic health, especially when it comes to mental health. And by taking a holistic approach, I feel like it highlights this idea of curiosity because it allows you to take a whole lot more curiosity when you're examining their whole being, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, when I talk to the parents, it's such a great conversation because we have these aha moments. Oh, I didn't think of that. Oh my God, is that connected? And uh, it's so great. And oh. I, I love it. I love that that journey. Yeah, for sure. And I think those aha moments are just, oh, it like completely shifts your state when you're like, oh my gosh, finally, I know the reason, right? Right. Which is yeah. so much better than getting this diagnosis, you know, with, with no explanation. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, sometimes along those diagnoses, it's like, well, and then I'm going to have these symptoms. So how am I going to manage these symptoms for my whole life? Yeah. Right. And then parents are always saying, oh, so what you're saying is your hyper healing program is to help us manage. And I said, no, no, you're not managing. Managing is when you've given up, you're stuck with it and you have to get through the day. I don't want you to get through the day. I want you to thrive. Mm -hmm. I will never recommend that someone manage their symptoms. Mm, I love that. And yet it is quite in opposition to a lot of what we hear, because I know a lot of people in the mental health space, they, they stray away from using the word healing 
And it's oftentimes talked about like, you know, well, if you have this now, you're probably going to have it your whole life and have to cope with and manage it. So what would you say to those people? They don't have enough tools in their shed. When you only have pharmaceutical drugs, yeah, you're going to be managing that your whole life. And and I work very closely with, with open-minded psychiatrists who help my clients get off of their medications safely. That is not something you should do on your own. It's a arduous, horrible process, painful in every way, and that has to have a lot of support. But what I I had I had this one amazing client who I met her and I said this woman is she's just the success sitting across from me, but she's an absolute wreck. She couldn't get out of bed in the morning. She was a mom with a bunch of kids and and she was in constant depression. She was on loads of medications and it took us a year and a half, but we got all the medication gone. Every single one of them, one of them completely destroyed her thyroid. So she was, she was her, she has sleep problems that she'll probably have for life. That's, that's the lithium we have to thank for that. And uh, she now has finished her second degree and she now runs a full social work program. And she's a high performing woman. And she was literally being buried by psychiatric drugs. And when I went, and so when her doctor says, you're going to have this for life, that's because that's what he's got to offer. But when we really worked it through and found out how much trauma and abuse she had suffered and legitimized that and tried to help her overcome, heal. And some some trauma you can't heal from. Some trauma you have to accept and live with and, and carry with you in that suitcase. That's okay. Not everything has to be resolved in this lifetime. But it, once she was able to at least come to terms with it and say, I'm not crazy. I've been through hell. And now I'm coming back. And I'm coming back stronger. And, and she is powerful and she's strong. And, uh, and I see the healthy person in every one of the clients. And yes, you heal. None of, if you met this woman today and you had a conversation with her, you would, it would never occur to you to give her any diagnosis. Wow. Yeah, I think that's huge because, I mean, for so many of us, when we're given that diagnosis or that label, we think, well, this is who I am. I better learn yeah. to live my life like this. And for, for many of us, it makes us feel stuck and just hopeless. So this conversation, I feel like it brings a lot of hope. This idea of being more curious about what it is that you're going through instead of just accepting the label. Right. Yeah. The label is really was, you know, the DSM, which is what lists our, all of our labels, is actually the original purpose of diagnosis was just to organize psychiatry so that they weren't just giving out random diagnoses. It was never intended to then become this, you know, definitive thing that you are. And, uh, and then it never was intended to become, that means you have something wrong with your brain. That was, that came way later on. And uh, if we go back to the original purpose of diagnosis, it's just really for communication. If, if you say anxiety, then I will understand this list of symptoms is what you're dealing with. If I say to you, ADHD, you'll get, oh, okay, those are the things you're challenged with. 
let's figure it out. So that I, I like to go back to the original purpose of diagnosis. If, if we're going to diagnose, then, then let's at least keep it pure. Yeah, I like that too. And I like how even prior in the conversation, you were talking about how in research, a lot of the time, they're not even able to see brain differences. And I think for so many of us, we think, oh, well, if I have this thing, there must be sort of some sort of structural imbalance, right? Yeah. And that's the biggest curse of all. Yeah. Mm. So how can we get more curious about our curses? Well, I always tell people when you're feeling stressed or anxious, if you can pull yourself back for just a minute and listen to your very, very noisy brain, your curses will be very apparent to you. You'll be saying, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? I always fail. And you'll just be giving yourself a solid beating. And, uh, and that's your curses will tell you who they are. Mm, Yeah. Loud and clear. That's for sure. As long as you listen, (laughs) as long as you listen, it's so loud. Mm, Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like we've covered so many amazing gems in this conversation, Abigail. So thank you so much. With pleasure. It was such a great conversation with you. I love your questions. Yeah. Oh, thanks. And so what's, I guess, the number one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is anxious and ambitious? I would say, slow down, take a deep breath. Your ambition is so great. And that is something you're going to get to. The anxiety is your inner voices that are slowing you down. So take a break. Listen carefully to what's going on inside of you. Speak to a friend. Speak to a therapist. Don't jump to conclusions. Help yourself figure out what's pulling you back from all of your ambitions. Because the fact that you have ambitions is so great. There are so many people who just have given up. So you're well on your way to success. You just have to have respect for yourself. Listen to your voices. Share that. And, and you'll get to, and, and also ambitious people tend to want to be successful this second all the time. And that's, that's another thing that causes anxiety, as you probably know. So therefore, um, take it step by step. Like you don't need to be successful today. You need to have made one successful choice today and one successful action today. Just add one brick to your building. And you will see that that that'll take you much further than needing to take on the world all at once this afternoon. Yes, that is great advice and beautifully put. And so where can our listeners connect with you, Abigail? I think the best place to to connect with me would be by my web on my website, which is hyperhealing.org. You can also look me up on Instagram. I have loads of posts there and uh, all sorts of information as well. And uh, that is hyperhealing at ADHD. No, hyperhealing.adhd. That is, that's the way it goes on Instagram. Also, you can subscribe on my website and, uh, and then you'll get newsletters with loads of information, free information. And my website also has a lot of free Um, downloads and things like that. I have a gift for anyone who comes to visit 
which is all the cheat sheets of my book. So it's it's the it's those cliff notes. That was the only thing I read in high school. So I'm giving away the cliff notes because I really want everyone to get the help that they want. And also you can with pleasure um, really reach out to me through my website for a free 15 minute consultation so we can start the journey together and really figure out what's going on for you. Oh yeah, that's awesome. And I'll be sure to link all of that in the description below. So if you're listening, go and check that out, go and connect with Abigail, send her a message, book a call. If you feel called to, we really love to hear your takeaways. It it really means the world. So please do reach out and, um, yeah, thank you so much for listening and thanks for joining me, Abigail. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode and we're able to get some takeaways and some insights that you can walk away with and apply to your life. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. I have a lot of other great guests lined up for you as well as some solo episodes coming very soon. So stay tuned for that. And I'll see you next Wednesday on the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. Thanks for listening.